Hi, this is Dan. Thanks for listening to my podcast. I trust that it will encourage you and build your faith. If you'd like to connect with us further, our website is revivalnow.com, and you can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram, all at Revival Now Dan Steep. We have the Revival Now app that you can download at your Play Store, and if you use Roku, you can find us on Creo TV. Enjoy the podcast and share it with a friend. Hi, welcome to Spiritual Talk. I'm Dan Steep, and this episode is being brought to you by Valara with Active Pure Technology. If you'd like to know how to get an FDA-approved NASA-used technology in your home, business, or car that reduces 99% of airborne and surface pathogens, including mold, fungus, bacteria, including staph, and viruses, including SARS-CoV-2, from which COVID-19 comes from, email the address on the screen. Info for Valara at gmail.com. Well, thanks for joining me on this episode. We're going to be looking at the Bible proofs of the pre-tribulation rapture. The reason it's important to understand what the Bible has to say about the pre-tribulation rapture, it's really about victory. You see, you can't simultaneously believe that the church has dominion over the devil and also believe that he's going to have dominion over the church during the tribulation. And that would be the case with any kind of a mid- or post-tribulation rapture uh, theology. So we're going to look at the Bible proof for the pre-tribulation rapture. You see, the people that believe in a mid- or post-tribulation rapture tend to be defeatists, a negative. And that kind of defeatism will bleed into your theology. And you'll, you'll, you'll believe that if the devil has dominion over uh, the church in the, in, the, in the rapture, maybe he has dominion over the church now, or dominion over your body, or, or your life, or your home, or whatever it might be. So you have to be really careful about that. Uh, one of the scriptures we want to look at is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. We're going to look at a lot of scripture uh, in this episode, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 and 18, the Apostle Paul says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this way we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, Comfort one another with these words. And these words would only be comforting if we had a, if the rapture was a pre-tribulation rapture. You can't comfort yourself with these words 
if it's a mid- or post-tribulation rapture. The only way that these words are comforting is in the context of the pre-tribulation rapture. And it says that we will meet the Lord, right? We who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That's, that's, that's the difference between the rapture and the second coming of the Christ. The rapture is not the second coming of Christ. The second coming of Christ is when he comes to the earth to, to establish an earthly reign on the earth. Whereas the rapture, the, the Lord Jesus never actually touches the earth. We meet him together in the air. Now the word rapture literally means to be caught up. And you'll hear people say, well, you know, rapture doesn't occur in the Bible. Well, actually it does. It just doesn't occur in the English Bible. It's in the Latin. The word is raptus. In the Greek, the word is harpazo. And it means to be caught up. So what we find is, is we find the literal word rapture in many other um, translations of the Bible, just not in the English translation. And we most definitely see the concept of the, of the rapture even in the English Bible. So Bible prophecy should comfort believers, not scare believers. And a, a biblical understanding of the pre-tribulation rapture should bring great comfort to every believer's life, because there are some challenging things that lie ahead of us as Bible prophecy unfolds in the earth. But if you're born again, I mean, if you're not born again, you'll have the opportunity before this episode comes to a close to make a strong, clear commitment to Jesus Christ. Because when you are a child of God, when you're born again, when you're a Christian, a follower of Christ, nothing to fear, nothing to worry about. You will be in that number when the church is raptured up to meet Christ in the air. I look at another scripture here in 1 Thessalonians. It's in, in the fifth chapter, verses 1 through 11. The Apostle Paul says, Concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when, we, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You're all sons of light and sons of the day. We're not of the night or of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, but those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together in him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are also doing. So the key verse is verse 9. God did not appoint us to wrath. God did not appoint us to wrath. 
because God did not appoint us to wrath, we won't have to endure the wrath and the judgment of God during the tribulation period. God chose to save us, not to put uh, to pour out his anger upon us. And then again in verse 11, we see those words, comfort one another, encourage one another with these words. How could we do that if the, rap- if the, uh, the rapture occurred not at the beginning of the tribulation, but in the middle or in the end? In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we'll just slide over a little bit further in my Bible, just flipping the page. Um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter, as, it, as, is, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. There will be a great falling away of people. The Bible says in Matthew uh, 24 that the love of many will grow cold. It's one of the signs of the times. And then it says, the man of sin is going to be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship. So this is speaking about the Antichrist. And one of the things that is going to happen when the Antichrist reigns is not only a one-world government, but a one-world religion. And people have speculated what that religion would be. Some say Christianity, Islam, but it, 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 it's pretty clear from Scripture that the Antichrist is going to oppose and exalt himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. So this one-world religion is going to be different from anything that we're familiar with today. The Scripture goes on and says, Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. We'll talk about that more uh, as we move through this lesson. But let me just finish this scripture reading out. And the lawless one, verse 8, will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power signs and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion and they, that they should believe the lie. So the Antichrist, when he comes, is going to be highly charismatic, highly decept- deceptive, and many people will fall uh, prey to his deception, even those who profess to be Christian. So we see here, uh, again, talking about this, this um, coming of the Antichrist. Now, the Antichrist doesn't come until the tribulation period, because the one who is restraining or, or holding him, preventing him from doing what he wants to do, is the church, 
It's the body of Christ. It's not the government. It's not the Holy Spirit. Both of those things will still be present during the tribulation. And the Antichrist won't reign until the tribulation period. What's the one thing that is moved out of the way? The church at the rapture, the pre-tribulation rapture, when the church is caught up out of the earth. You see, so many people in the world think the church is the problem, but the church is the solution, and the church is the only thing preventing the spirit of Antichrist from, uh, from totally um, locking down the world even now. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. There is a parable about the wheat and the tares. And I want to I share with you a little bit about the, this parable of the wheat and the tares. I know we're, we're reading a lot of Scripture, but these Scriptures are really important, and I'm going to pull these scriptures and pull from them as we get into the Bible proofs of this pre-tribulation rapture. So let me just, one more passage of scripture before I start talking about the Bible proofs. In Matthew chapter 13, beginning of verse 24, there Jesus speaks about the parable of the wheat and the tares. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came to them and said, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servants said to him, Do you want us to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. And then in verse 36 of Matthew chapter 13, Jesus explains the parable of the tares and the wheat. Jesus sent the multitude away and went into a house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares and of the field. And he answered and said to them, He who sows good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned and put in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of the kingdom all of the things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In this parable of the, of the wheat and the tares, we see that the, 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 tares, the, the seed for the tares was sown amongst the wheat. And what makes this so difficult is 
tares look almost exactly like wheat. And so it'd be so difficult to differentiate between the two. And when they re remember, as this parable is explained, the tares, um, let me find it here. Oh, I, I just, I'm on the wrong page. There we go. The tares, uh, um, okay. The tares are the son of the wicked one, and the good seeds are the son of the kingdom. And the angel of the Lord is the one that does the reaping. And when, when he was asked if they should go ahead and remove the tares, he said, no, so that you don't uproot and harm the good wheat. You see, this is the judgment. It's talking about the judgment. And at the judgment, God's people are not going to be harmed. And, they're not and, and there's a judgment that takes place that uh, allows people to, to participate in the rapture. So you see God's heart toward his people. Because there's no way to judge the wicked without damaging the righteous. They're separated. It's interesting. Every time something bad happens in the world, people say, there's always people that say this is God's judgment. But as you, as you look at Scripture, you understand what God's heart is toward His people. God's people are not going to endure His judgment and His wrath. That's going to be poured out during the tribulation period. So when something bad happens in the world, it's not God's judgment. People have no idea how bad God's judgment is going to be. The Bible says there are bowls in heaven filled with God's judgment and wrath, and they're going to be poured out during the tribulation. We haven't seen anything yet. And if you're a child of God, you won't see God's judgment and wrath poured out because you'll be taken out of here secure, where you'll be with the Lord forever. The Scripture lets us know that's not God's heart toward people. The harvest is at the end of the world. You know, the Bible, one of the things that the Bible calls Christians as ambassadors. We're ambassadors of God's kingdom. Any country that that calls their you know any country that's going to go to war they always call their ambassadors home before they go to war before they invade and the pre-tribulation rapture is the calling home of God's ambassadors to the earth we're God's ambassadors on the earth our citizenship is in heaven that's what the bible tells us in in the book of ephesians and the, the rapture is God calling his ambassadors to the earth, home to heaven. And we see those pictures throughout uh, Scripture and throughout this lesson. You know, I won't read each of these Scriptures for time's sake, but one of the first Bible proofs of the pre-tribulation pre pre rapture is just the fact that we see six raptures in the Bible. So not only is the, the word rapture in, in every version of the Bible except the English version, and not only is the concept of the rapture 
throughout Scripture, we're going to actually see that there's more than one rapture in Scripture. The first one is in Genesis chapter 5, verse 24. That's where Enoch was raptured out of, out of the earth. It says he walked with the Lord and then he was not. Because God took him up out of the earth. We see in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11, where Elijah was caught up in a whirlwind and raptured up out of the earth. We see in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 11, how Jesus ascended to heaven. He was caught up out of the earth and ascended to heaven. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2 through 10, the Apostle Paul talks about how he was caught up into the third heaven. Caught up, that's the word translated from rapture. And of course, from the scripture that we read already, in 1 Thessalonians, um, both in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the rapture of the church. And then there are the two prophets in Revelation chapter 11, verses 11 and 12. Two prophets that are raptured up out of the earth. So not only is the rapture in the Bible in word and in concept. But there were multiple instances of raptures that took place in the Bible. I, I feel like I should read a couple of them because I know many people will watch the episode and they won't, they won't um, necessarily have a Bible with them, might be listening to the episode, or, or just won't look up uh, these scriptures in the Bible. So in Genesis chapter 5, verse 24, I have a very uncooperative Bible. The spine is busted in it, and, and it just wants to flip and do whatever it wants to do. Genesis five twenty four, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11, Then it happened as they continued on and talked, and suddenly a chariot of fire appeared and horses of fire and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up to heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you to heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Second Corinthians chapter twelve, 
I won't read the entirety of this one. The Apostle Paul talking about himself. He says, um, he's talking to the third person about himself. He said, God knows such a one was caught up to the third heaven. I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows, but he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words. So this is the Apostle Paul and his, his great vision where he was caught up into the third heaven. We read the rapture of the church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and chapter 5, and then in Revelation chapter 11, verses 11 and 12. Now after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them, and they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. So there you have it, the six raptures in the Bible. I talked to you about the dominion of the church, how in, this is the, the second Bible proof of the pre-tribulation rapture, the dominion of the church. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, it talks about the one who is restraining the man of lawlessness and how he has to be moved out of the way. You know, Satan runs on God's clock. He's always had someone in the wings that would step up and be the Antichrist, because Satan doesn't know. He's not all-knowing. God is the only one who's all-knowing. Satan's not actually as powerful as people give him credit for. And so, even though there have been Antichrists in the wings... They were prevented. By the, there was one, the body of Christ here on the earth, restraining them, preventing. We're talking about the dominion of the church. That's the role of the church, to walk in dominion, to fight and withstand the powers of darkness, to hold it at bay, to walk in victory, and to defeat them. Now, dominion, in, in Scripture, we find that dominion transferred from Adam to Satan in the original sin. And you know that's true, because if you turn with me in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, see what Satan says to Jesus during this wilderness temptation. Luke chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Satan said, all right, then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said, he said to him, all this authority I will give you. So we had this dominion and authority, it was transferred to Satan, because that's a really uh, haughty, 
an arrogant thing for him to say to Jesus unless it was true. Satan said to him, all these things I will give to you. All this authority I will give you and their glory. For this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. So there you have it. Satan being quoted in the Gospel of Luke. We had dominion. It was transferred from Adam to Satan in the original sin. Now look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. Jesus speaking, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. That's dominion, even over death. Death, hell, and the grave. And it was delivered to us in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Jesus said to Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's dominion, it's authority. The keys of the kingdom. The keys to death, hell, and the grave. Now look at Ephesians chapter 1 with me. Remember, Jesus took that back from Satan and he transferred it back to us, God's people, the rightful owners. And this is what Jesus, not Jesus, the apostle Paul spoke concerning us. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 to 23, he's talking about this mighty power which he worked in Christ when he was raised from the dead and seated him, God seated Christ at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and everything that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet. That's dominion. That's authority. And he gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Jesus has authority over all things, and he's the head of his body, the church. That's us. Now look at Ephesians 2, verse 6. It says that he raised us up together and made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The dominion of the church. Adam had it. He gave it to Satan in the original sin. Christ won it back and delivered it into our hands. Satan is a defeated foe. Who's the head of the church? Christ. Who is the church? 
We are the body of Christ. We have dominion and authority over the devil. And that dominion is not going to be ceded back to the devil during the tribulation. The Antichrist would have to ascend above Christ to defeat the church. That means one Christian full of the Holy Ghost has the dominion, the authority, and the power to cast the devil out of the devil in Jesus' name. The dominion of the church goes hand in hand with the pre-tribulation rapture. And I want you to get that in your spirit. That's why it matters. That's why it's important that you are saved. Because every promise in this book, all dominion and authority in this book is yours if you are a child of God, if you're born again. And the promise of the rapture, that God is going to gather his church up out of this earth and deliver them to a safe place before God's judgment and wrath falls upon the earth. There's no more important question than I can ask than this. Do you know for sure, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that if you died today, you would spend eternity with Jesus in heaven? Everything in your life depends upon your answer. If your answer to that question is anything other than a resounding yes, I beg you to take advantage of the opportunity today to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. In just a moment, I'm going to offer a salvation prayer. And if you'll pray this prayer out loud after me, you will, in an instant, miraculously, Change your destination forever. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So pray this prayer out loud after me. Heavenly Father, I admit that I've sinned. I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose from the grave to give me victory over sin and death. I confess my sinfulness. I repent. Please forgive me of my sin and come into my heart and make me a new person. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you prayed that prayer out loud after me, you called on the name of the Lord. So by the authority of God's word, I tell you today that you're saved, you're born again, and you're on your way to heaven because you have Jesus in your heart. Please go to my website at revivalnow.com. Revivalnow.com. If you'll go to the website, there's a big red button on the front page that says, I just got saved. Click that button. And it'll take you to a place where you can do two things. First, you can view some video resources that I've prepared to help you get started in your Christian life. And secondly, you can fill out your contact information. And if you'll fill out your contact information in its entirety, I'll make a threefold promise to you. Number one, 
Your information will not be used for any solicitation purposes. You won't receive any phone calls. You won't show up on any email lists. Number two, I'll pray for you by name because now I'm going to know who you are. And number three, I want to send some resources to you to help you get started in your Christian life. So go to RevivalNow.com, click I Just Got Saved, and follow the prompts from there. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode. I'm going to follow this episode up with a part two and conclude the Bible proofs of the pre-tribulation rapture. I hope you'll join me for that episode. And remember, this episode is being brought to you by Valara with Active Pure Technology. If you'd like to know how you can get an FDA-approved NASA-used technology in your home, business, or car that reduces 99% of airborne and surface pathogens, including mold, fungus, bacteria, including staph, and viruses, including SARS-CoV-2, email the address on the screen, info for Valara at gmail.com. Thanks again for joining me in this episode. Make sure you tune back in for part two of this episode. And until then, I'm praying for you. I believe in you. Be blessed in Jesus' name.